0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Casual Watch Talk. Well, today I'm joined by some very special guests. It's Ricky and Dave from Scottish Watches. Thanks so much for joining me.
1: No problem You're at all. all. No, thanks. Good to, good to be here.
0: Yeah, I mean, you guys are the... Uh... I think the reason that I started doing the audio podcast, but you must be the, the biggest watch related podcast now. Um
2: we're biggest by volume. We've got the largest back catalogue approaching three hundred and sixty episodes, and I believe worldwide listenership and downloads probably second biggest, maybe third, something like that. Under Hodinka. Yeah.
1: Under Houdinke radio possibly. Which is obviously much less frequent, but they've got a big audience, shall we say? They know how to market. Yeah, I've um
0: I suppose that's a separate subject. I don't really listen to how Dinky markets it. Uh, how dinky Radio? I, I'm glad. How oh,
2: Marketing? I
0: like <laughs> it. Like, I like.
2: that. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, fro- right <laughs>
0: brilliant.
1: Yep. Dinky's Excellent
0: back. work. Yeah, he says. Oh, we've got this great watch review. Uh, we're going to give you our own opinion. Here's the link to buy it in our store. <laughs>
2: hmm. Funny that.
1: I think, I think it's different as well, isn't it? To to me, to me, they are things more like a blockbuster movie. It comes out infrequently, but it's when it comes out, it's big. Whereas we are more like the, I don't know, the soap opera that plays twice a week, every week without fail and has been doing it for years. That's kind of the difference, I suppose.
0: Yeah. With
2: a cliffhanger at the end, yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I would love to chat to
0: you about, you actually got to go to Watches of Wonders, which is amazing. A lot of us just talked about pictures that we'd seen, but you've actually got to go there in person. So how did that transpire? Because uh, you, you've been before.
1: So I suppose um, this year's is, was slightly different in that it was the first time back after a few years due to COVID and, you know, shows you know falling apart, shows changing because different people decided to go or not go, etc. And really, this is the first time that, you know, broadly speaking, the vast majority of the kind of watch industry minus the obvious one, that being Swatch Group, kind of got together broadly. And if they weren't at the show, they were in and around the the, the city, so to speak. And uh, we've got a great relationship with, you know, most of the brands. And, you know, the way that show works is it was trade and press. There was no public days, etc. And because we've got a great relationship with, you know, some of the brands, uh, you know the good thing for us is that we're we're on that list, shall we say, of press that gets us access to those kind of events. So very kindly, we were extended the invite uh, by the guys from Richemont, um, who have got a great relationship with likes of Montblanc, IWC, Vacheron, and those guys all within that kind of collective house. And they've done content with us. They've they've done podcasts, and they were they were keen to have us there so that we could see what was happening and, and and talk about it and for me certainly the beauty was you know we were asked to go but there was no agenda it wasn't you must come and you must talk about this this and this it was we were very free to wander about and kind of just absorb it take in what we we saw and and talk about it because i i, I guess we've built up a degree of trust in the respect of we're not going to do anything stupid but in the same ways we'll, we'll be open and honest and truthful speak about
2: for yourself dave
1: yeah, I know. I, you know, I had to, I had to temper you though.
2: You did especially it the you, last day we were
1: there. Especially when you get plied with drink by certain brands.
2: Yeah, yeah, there are stories that we don't speak about towards the end of watches and wonders, but that's for another time. No, as Dave said, it was good to be back. I have only kind of been in the hobby for about five years, and I've only been in the industry for a couple of years since the podcast kind of took a hold. And I'd been to SIHH a couple of times as a punter, and I'd been to Baselworld again, just walking through the door, not pressed, not working for an agency or anything. And the differences I saw this year versus the SIHH of old was there was an enthusiasm because we'd been locked up for two years, because there hadn't been the opportunity to meet in real life. Everything was a Zoom screen and a webcam. We got the opportunity to go to Dubai Watch Week last year, but that was a much more relaxed affair. That was a collector and an enthusiast centric. Event. It wasn't a hard sales event. This one was very much new products, headlines. This is what's coming out. This is what you need to talk about from all the brands. I think it was 38 Ateliers in the place. Then you had the satellite shows that kinda congregated around different places in Geneva. There was hotel lobbies, there was exhibitions. So it was good just to get out, get to meet people in real life. And as you said, most people were looking at pictures on screen, beautiful renders that weren't real watches. We get the opportunity to put a watch on the wrist, see what it felt like, see how it wore and how it reacted to different styles of light. And that's something that, you know, we're really appreciative of for the guys at Richmond for inviting us across to get that opportunity.
1: It's the same things that's, that pictures will never tell you, like the bracelet, you know, is it jangly? Does it is does it feel good? Does it nip your skin? Does it pull hairs? All of these daft things that a picture will never tell you. And you can get yourself fixated on a watch by seeing a picture and think, That's the one And then just that moment when you try it on and you're like, oh, it just doesn't fit or it pulls my skin or it nips my hair. You know, all of these things that can happen. But when you try it on for real, um, you almost get away. Yes,
2: Dave, it's like online dating. It's like Tinder. You see the pictures and you're like, oh, supermodel. And then you meet them and you think, oh, dear.
0: (laughs) Next question. Um... Do we do
2: wrist checks in this show?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, we can absolutely do a wrist check. Yeah. I mean, do, uh, please. Sam, as what are you wearing? Guest. You're the oh, host. Well, I'll, I'll go first then. Um, I'm wearing Christopher Ward. I just interviewed Mike oh. France from Christopher Ward. So I, I, I don't know. I, I, what I've one's that? Is that a trident? It is. People uh, joke in our comment section that casual watch talk is actually a front for Christopher Ward talk. And,
1: uh, sure be.
2: That's
1: fine. <laughs> sure be. Uh, don't worry. Mike France has got this sussed. He is like, he's the cabal. He's the ruler of all. Behind all the strings being pulled, it's Mike France. <laughs>
2: puppet master
0: i will not confirm or deny that
2: (laughs) yesterday we spoke to mike france probably straight after you did and as i said to you off air we were doing this as maybe a 10 minute 15 minute segment on a new watch that was getting released and it ended up being 30 40 minutes because the guy is just a fountain of knowledge he's got massive amounts of enthusiasm and he just keeps going and you don't want to stop him because it's great content and he was talking about a watch that i think is still embargoed right at this second but will be out soon Uh, but we did a great chat about things loads of different stuff plus we've got a limited edition christopher wardwatch coming out in about a month and a half's time so it was good just to catch up with him again
0: oh you didn't know no i did not know that we should definitely plug Mm. that now i did not know that no
2: yeah it is based on the c63 sealander we're scottish therefore of course we have renamed it the highlander it's a limited edition piece of 69 pieces because of course and it features a number of Easter eggs that we're not going to talk about until people actually get the watch in their hand. But the dial is fantastic. It's got a printing of the Scottish Saltire and the English flag miniaturised and patterned almost like a guilloche, but it's not. But it looks wow. like it when the light hits it in a certain way. So I'll send you some photographs of it for the show notes. And this is something that looks better in real life than it does in the renders, and the renders are pretty good as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Wow so you've got the the swatch you'll have the christopher ward so there'll be a time when there's watch collectors that only collect scottish watches watches i'm guessing hopefully hopefully, hopefully. there
2: are another couple there was one that kind of uh, fell by the wayside might get reinvigorated at some point and we're working on a couple of projects that we can't as you know we can't really speak about until they move further down the line but we try and do something that is pocket friendly that the enthusiasts will appreciate and people that listen to the show will be able to buy into because we're always asked for things you know when are you guys doing xyz even merch mugs t-shirts stuff like that we don't really do merch because we're a watch podcast but people want to get something they think looks cool all the better for it
0: yeah and i think definitely a plug for my uh christopher ward interview and maybe yours as well mike one of his many gems that he deposits as he's talking he explained something significant about the new dial that i know a lot of people that have perhaps not dipped into christopher ward yet uh, might be interested in so
2: i know what you're talking about
1: yeah i think i think it's also really cool as a brand it's a brand that i think unfairly within certain echelons of watch collectors gets a bit of a hard time really unfairly in my my eyes i mean yeah. you know their mod their business model is a little left field It's not the normal business model you know the multiple that he does for retail price the fact that it's direct only etc cetera, etc cetera. but one thing i can absolutely tell people from the experience of even just working in our watch is they've got a pretty dedicated team of people that are pretty fastidious about getting it right and they don't cut corners this is not a product that's moshed out in a pit in a you know a factory in some hellhole of the world um, to make it as cheap as possible. These are really high-grade, high-quality products. They don't pretend to be high horology, albeit they do a couple of pieces occasionally that really are pretty premium. But, you know, they're, they're really solid quality. And Mike's a great leader for that brand. He knows what he's talking about, but he also knows his limits. He knows when he's like, yeah, well, actually, I'll get someone else to talk to you about that because that's not my wheelhouse. Wheel yep. But he also... He's just energetic. He's one of these people that, whether he was 13, whether he's 20-something, whether he's the age he is now, he'll always be as bouncy. 80 think, something. Till, the, till, the, till the 80-something. He's, he's aged well. He's yeah. Tough paper around that yeah, one. He's, he's done all right. Um, but, you know, to be fair to Mike, you know, he, he's one of these people that up until the day he departs this mortal coil will be bouncing along quite the thing. He's just full of energy. He's just, he's. just You talk to him and you he can't help but come away feeling invigorated with even just life in general.
2: Couldn't agree more. Right, Dave, you can go next. you like coming Brist second. check
1: for me. I like coming second. I have on my Speedmaster 321, the modern reinterpretation. So oh, wow. this is what's affectionately known as the Ed White. Um, so I was very lucky and got one of these very early on. And it appears that they are as tricky to get today as they were to begin with. So, yeah, I'm really pleased I've got this in a in pretty... Um, Pretty special piece that I've got in my collection. I,
0: I've never seen, I've never seen one in person, and I think you're the only person that I've met that that owns one. But yeah, very.
1: They, they, it appears that um, you know the Snoopy is a difficult one to get your hands on, but um, they were they were pretty tricky for a little while. But certainly, I know that um, these seem to be more difficult. Um, I guess they don't make many of them. You know, we all know the story. Is it about because the
2: got... it's one watchmaker that makes the movement all the way yeah. through?
1: exactly so you know the whilst the, the snoopy ultimately is a, a production speedmaster you know it's a combination of automation and hand making depending on you know the part of the process the three two one is altogether a kind of more niche specialist product very small number of watchmakers that are trained stroke authorized to to build and uh, you know uh, generate these movements up from from parts and then they go right through the process of casing uh, effectively right through from genesis to it going in a box to being shipped out is all kind of controlled by a, a small tight knit team and obviously the three two one movement is I think they talked about at maximum they might be able to make two thousand movements a year and then when you divvy that up you think there's a steel three two one there's a platinum three two one. And I believe, you know, there's a couple of other kind of projects. So, you know, there's a small number generally going out. And my understanding is I don't think they've quite reached that 2,000 units a year capacity yet either. So, you know, they just they just are rare for the sake of they don't make that many of them. So, yeah, I'm really lucky to have one.
0: Okay, Ricky, I think you're you're turn.
2: Okay, well, I have got on my Orage Turbion 1. Picked this up in the last year and it's pretty much been on the wrist most of the time even though we get a ton of watches into review this is the one i always seem to go back to and nowadays with everybody knowing how dangerous it can be in certain areas of the world in certain cities wearing rolex my batman which what is was is my favorite watch seems to spend more time in the lockbox than it does on the wrist so this one here absolutely love it limited to about 100 150 pieces worldwide can't get them anymore Tank tough, 120 hours power reserve, it's accurate to run about 1 second a day, which is fantastic, and we have a good working relationship with the guys at Arraj at THE+. I've worked with them for a number of years on things. They're always on the show talking bollocks about something or other because, like us, they're the upstarts of the watch industry. They're based over in Switzerland, but they are the runaway, the black sheep of the family. Uh, And we got on great with them and they've got some good products coming out later on in the year.
1: They're an interesting brand. Araj is a brand, to be honest. You know, they are, first and foremost, an engineering company, The Plus, you know, which they're now... They actually had T H E Plus their engineering wing, and Orage is their brand, but they've actually very recently um, kind of decided to rebrand into just Orage in totality for everything. But you know their main background is is engineering movements. Um, you know whether it be for themselves or for others or to help others with engineering solutions. And, uh, you know, they've got some pretty impressive movement technology from their original um, K1 into the, the K2, which is in the, the latest edition, the Super Seed, and, uh, you know, the, the tourbillon that they did in, in Ricky's watch there. Um Probably latterly, most famously, knowing for being, I guess, the the engineering powerhouse behind Bremont's new in-house movement, um, uh, is is where that comes it comes into play. In-house so, manufactured know, movement. There we go. Officially in-house manufactured movement, but you know, yep. ba- ba- based very um, kind of. Uh, very deeply on that uh, original k1 movement with haraj albeit there's been some kind of uh, combination engineering between the two brands to, to to tweak it for what they want and you know Bremont have um have bought into the IP and the ownership of that 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 movement as well so they can legitimately call it theirs because they do have a they have skin in the game so to speak um but yeah you know they are a there are They're a powerful kind of engineering company. It's just that most people don't hear about them because they're not, you know, consumer-facing, so to speak. But Haraj... Yet. Exactly. The Super Seed, I think, might be a model that takes them from the relatively obscure to the, oh, yeah, this is pretty interesting. So it'll still be only within watchmates. Watch people circles for a little while, but, you know, um, they've not quite broached it into the wider uh, consciousness. But, yeah, Hmm. certainly a brand to look up
2: I'll show you quickly, I don't know how good my webcam will pick up But that's the front, which is pretty impressive If you check the Scottish Watches Instagram account Or the show notes for this show, I don't know if you do them or not Hopefully you do, we'll put some pictures there But even the back of it is just as impressive Uh, They work with the team at Armand Strom To work on the actual production They design it, they had It was actually a female watch designer that came up with the layout for the watch and most of the movement as far as I can tell and uh, it's just superb I wore this for the first time over at Dubai Watch Week um, because it was brand new and also I wanted to wear something that probably no one else would have and this ticked all the boxes, got a lot of attention same at Watches and Wonders, took it over to that because when people are kicking around with $10 million Jacobic clothes and the rest what you supposed to wear
0: yeah
1: yeah, and it was interesting uh, we'll not name the brand because it's not fair but uh, we were at one of the um, highly appropriately named Touch and Feels and they haven't quite sussed out that Touch and Feel in English <laughs> is probably not the best translation of whatever it is in the French or Swiss um, but uh, the Touch and Feel sessions with one of the brands which we did see an exceptionally lovely couple of watches from them, unnamed brand but Ricky took his tourbillon off and laid it on the desk to pick up the other watches to have a look at it at which moment um, I think one of the other press there decided to pick his up and woo and it's like no 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 give me that back that's nothing to do with this brand don't be looking at that in this brand's uh, presentation so yeah it definitely yeah. garnishes oopsie. a little bit of attention oopsie
2: but what but what Dave said there about the supersteed watch that is one that everybody should have a look at because if i was to hit you with the spec you would be wondering on the price so it's in-house designed movement and watch custom bracelet clasp system which is fantastic It has got a power reserve indicator on the front it has got am pm indicator it's a genuine gmt movement with date function and if you flip it over it has got a micro rotor it's not full it's not peripheral micro rotor and the back of the watch again is absolutely stunning they've left most of the movement open through the clear case back so you can see the inner workings and you know if i was to say to you how much would that cost most people would say oh 10 grand 15 grand They're bringing it out for around about six or 7,000. It's insane. It's because they're the guys that make the technology, they designed it, they own the patents, they don't have to pay anybody else. They create everything in-house, apart from maybe a couple of things like the Sapphire and whatnot, but because they do it all in-house, it's all vertically integrated, they can reduce the cost to the consumer, which is amazing. It's a bit like Mike France at Christopher Ward. Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Really, really solid quality product. And it proves the point that, you know, yep, Some of the big brands with big marketing budgets that ultimately we all pay for when we buy the watches make some amazing products. I'm not going to knock them. I I wear them. We've all all got those brands that fall foul of that. But, you know, there's some amazing stuff out there from the the, the lesser known or the people who don't throw God knows how much money at the wall for marketing purposes that bring exceptionally strong value to the market.
2: Do you mean (laughs) that the boutiques and the champagne, that that cost money?
1: Yeah, you know how when you go on a Saturday and think you're pulling a fast one by blagging a bottle of champagne uh, before you go out on a heavy night in the town, you think, I got away with that. See the next time you buy a bottle of wine. See the next time you buy a bottle of watches. A a bottle of watches, yeah, a bottle of wine, bottle of whatever, (laughs) I'm drunk. The next time you buy uh, your watch, yeah, you might probably want to reconsider how many times you take advantage of that free goods and champagne because it all goes on the bottom line.
0: I must be doing it wrong because I went into Rolex the other day to try and get my name on the list for one of the new Datejusts and all I got was a can of fizzy water. To, know, be fair, to, be you,
1: to be fair, your first mistake was going into a Rolex boutique to get your name on a list, so you probably answered your own question.
0: Yeah, I'm, f- I'm forever, forever the optimist. Well, going back to watches and wonders, was there any watches that you saw that you don't think got enough attention in the, in the the in the press?
2: no i think That's all good- the ones that we saw that we really liked got the press attention the ones that caught my eye and i was wrong thinking they weren't getting as much attention as maybe they should do was parmigiani yeah. they had mm-hmm. some things i looked at and i was like wow this is insane levels of quality and finishing and i spoke to the guys at time and tide and they said no recently like most parmigiani models they sell out quite quick But to me, I don't see the headlines, I don't see the Instagram posts, so in my psyche, they're not as famous as they should be. What about you, Dave?
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that with Parmesan, to a degree, albeit I think they've uh, managed to successfully uh, board the uh, high-speed hype train to uh, integrate steel bracelet famedom. But, um, you know, it would appear that if you've got a degree of heritage and you produce a stainless steel integrated sports watch with a nice movement in it, you're probably not going to uh, be unsuccessful. Um, but I think compared to maybe some of its uh, peers, um, it's not getting the same degree of kind of a coverage. But then in saying that, they don't make a huge number of watches and by all accounts, there's a waiting list for it. So I guess you don't need to shout too loud when you know you've sold everything anyway, which is a kind of proper first world problem and a nice place to be there's lots of brands there out there you know like um you know uh, cyrus had that little dice watch which is you know aesthetically not my thing but technically is a pretty cool watch didn't really get that much attention um you know all the big houses of course they get attention because you know rolex patek etc they're always going to garnish that attention um i think for me it was nice to see you know um a couple of you know Brands that are big brands, let's be honest, but don't always get spoken of in the same light as some of the big hitters, you know, and I think for me, one of them, the the dive watch from Mont Blanc um, was just, that that was, that honestly, like, that, you know, everyone says, name me a really good quality watch, bit of provenance, really good value for money. Black Bay is going to come up in most people at some point. You know, they're going to say to Black Bay, solid value for money, not overpriced, really good bit of kit. And they're right, it is. And it has been for a good couple of years now. And suddenly this has come along and it's quite a lot cheaper. You know, not in real pound notes because we weren't, we're not in the stratosphere of pound notes, but in percentage terms, it's probably 25% cheaper. So, you know, it's, it's significantly cheaper for a lot of people. It's a cracking looking watch. And like, as you said, Ricky, the green is unbelievably good. And so is the blue. The bracelet was outstanding. Just everything about it. So what, 2400 to 2600 rubber or bracelet, absolute killer. And it appears that the public agree because uh, I looked the other day and they are sold out for the time being. So uh, they seem to have uh, done something. And it's it's nice to see Montblanc Blanc not just being mm, that brand that makes pens and leather. You know they've been making some cool watches for quite a while now, and it's nice to see them kind of getting a little bit of the limelight.
0: Well, the two of the two of the watches that I think I was most impressed with technologically, one was the uh, the Grand Seiko Turbion, which I'll ask you about. But also, did you get to see that Cartier where the the movement was in the rotor?
2: Briefly, didn't get much time, and I didn't have an appointment to actually touch and feel it. But I got to see it at the event and loads of people were speaking about it. We were only there, unfortunately, for about two and a half days. The moment we landed, to put people in the picture, you've got Geneva Airport and then you walk out and you walk up a hill. In five minutes from leaving the departure area, you are inside PAL Expo where this event is held. It's also the place where the Geneva car show used to be held. Uh, and it is just it, it's almost like joined on it's fantastic but the moment we got off the plane went through passport control and got to the event itself we had to rush to do our first interview that was with the team at Vashron Constantin, and from there we immediately went to Mont Blanc and from there we immediately went to IWC so it was like a, a whistle stop tour for two and a half days we never get the chance to go around to all these amazing ateliers and check out even the independents it was just it was crazy next time we go hopefully we can spend a little bit more time there.
1: Yeah, but um, you're right. That um, that cartier piece was yeah, it's pretty exceptional. Um, again, I don't know whether aesthetically it's my uh, my thing, but you know the fact, the biggest fact I think of that watch for me is it's going to be you know an industrialized, i.e., a production piece. It's not a one off. It's not a we're making ten. It's part of their core range, and it's something oh, that wow. I don't think they're going to make thousands and thousands of them. But you know, it's a watch that broadly speaking, if you fancy it and it's up your wheelhouse and you've got the money to buy it then it will be available so it's a pretty cool bit of uh, technology and aesthetically i mean it's 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 amazing to look at it's not necessarily something i would want to wear but it's just you know it's such a cool thing to look at
0: and you got to see the the grand seiko continue, constant force Turbion, is
1: it called yeah, yeah. It's the on the kudo, unbelievable um vying certainly with me vying for you know, it's definitely in the top three of watches that were at that show full stop. As a technical exercise, it is arguably number one by quite a country mile. You know, you can argue about aesthetics, you know, for me, things like the Vacheron 222 reissue. It's nothing new that we've not seen before, but it's beautiful from a point of view of something you can buy. But that Constant Force Tourbillon from uh, Grand Seco was just and I've used this phrase before. It was a tour de force. Don't say it's it. A, oh, yeah, I've, said oh, it. I've done it. I know I've said it, but it is it It's is. a constant I mean,
2: no, tour beyond force. Yeah,
1: there's, <laughs> but it, but it is, but there's there's nothing about it that's just not impressive, from the engineering, the design, the materials, just everything about it was just unbelievably good. And actually, arguably, probably, and only the way the Japanese could. It you know the Swiss could the Swiss make it sure they could would they make it probably not because it would take that kind of fastidiousness that you know the Japanese engineers are known for to actually just go nope this is going to happen the Swiss would have probably gone yeah, we don't quite need to do that or why are we doing this you know it's just unbelievable and the kind of whole the whole thing about it touch feel look materials knowledge technology but the sound of it the sound was just just unbelievably glorious. And, uh, you know, Ricky, I'll tell you about that.
2: Well, yeah, you're talking about the way the Japanese did this. The way I explained it on our episode talking about Watches and Wonders was every so often a Japanese car brand throughout the decades would just fire something out there and everyone would be like, what the hell was that? It happened with the Honda Cura NSX when they took on Ferrari and the big boys. And then it happened again with the Toyota LFA, Lexus LFA. It's just something that is so much higher ground than everything else that you saw. And a different design philosophy than you've previously experienced. And with Grand Seiko, they've never been known for making bad watches. I don't know anyone that says a bad thing about Grand Seiko. They always speak highly of them. But then they blew this Millennium Falcon out the water. It was like the Enterprise. It was completely different, futuristic. And I said on the show, if you were to put your finger over the bit that said Grand Seiko and ask any watch person that hadn't heard about it, who made this? You would get 10 different answers because it was just so out there. But with the delight design philosophy, the history and the know-how to actually build something that was functional as well as beautiful.
1: One of the coolest things they did as well was they said, you know, the the, the whole idea with the tourbillon and this um, in, in kind of um, the same geometry for the cage, etc., they said, Oh, we've also got a big, like a big model that's multiple scaled up so you can see it, you know, and you're half expecting some, you know, kind of bit of 3D printed plastic to get wheeled out and to look at it. But no, they had engineered a big, fully working lump of metal that they had redone the whole tourbillon and the the, the, the cage and everything and and wheeled it out as well, and it was the size of a dinner plate, and you're thinking, Yeah, this is this is this is something that the that the, the, the Japanese are just masters at.
2: They totally blue petered it. They went, Here's yeah. one we made earlier, pulled this sticky back plastic version out. No, it wasn't. It was fantastic. It was proper. And it was in comparison to another brand that I had a look at, uh, Roger Dubuis. They were showing off one of their Excalibur's Knights of the Round table watch, and they had the 3D printed movement. And that kind of peeled into insignificance once we saw Grand Seco doing it right.
0: Yeah, you're right. I wouldn't, if you covered that name up, you wouldn't guess it was Grand Seco because the recent years they've, it's all about the dials, isn't it? They've and the case finishing. They've obviously got their um, 8L35 movements and the the spring drive movements. They're the, the constants, but they've been really and the high beat. But they've been really improving the dials and stuff. So uh, yeah, I, I think it it certainly blew me away when I saw it. I, they I turned
2: it off them. the heritage knob and slider and just went with technology. And usually, Grand Seiko was all about piece de resistance. It's classic. It's heritage. It's legacy and they just put that to the side and went this is just going to be something that is beautifully stunning and a modern interpretation
1: i think it was also amazing when you looked at it and you when you, when you know a bit more about grand Seiko you kind of deep dive in grand Seiko and you understand things like the grammar of design and such like that's kind of influenced their design philosophy since the very beginning and obviously now with the evolution nine that kind of slight tweaking and kind of modernizing of those concepts you're right when you first saw that um constant force you, you thought yeah this is just different entirely different but the more you began to look at it you began to you begin to see things where you go oh yeah so as there it is there's that little bit that they took from their grammar of design they just it was almost like somebody who had taken the book of rules but read the rules differently so it's a bit like you know occasionally a formula one team says yeah Oh, we've got a new wing and everyone goes, Oh outrageous, ban it, ban it and they suddenly go, Well, the way we read the rules is that it says this isn't illegal. It's a bit like that. Someone who read the rule book and that one went, Yeah, it fits all the rules, but we're going to do it different. So it was a wee bit like that. So it was just it was just properly left field and really an amazing bit of technology, albeit better part of four hundred thousand euros. So you know, it's uh it's not gonna be a impulse purchase for anyone.
2: No. And like you mentioned earlier, we did a full show with Grand Seiko. We recorded part of it before we went and they said, we can't tell you what we're going to release. You'll have to record when you're actually in Geneva. So part of the show was recorded here in the UK and then the other part at the end. And the comments and the feedback we've had on it were brilliant because we had, we call him handsome Rob. And when you see pictures of the guy we interviewed, you'll understand why, you know, he should be walking down a catwalk. Yeah, uh, he's fantastic, but he's also super knowledgeable about the product line, and it's just a great episode. If people haven't heard that one, fully recommend going and checking it out. Same with the Vacheron; um, they wouldn't tell us certain things. They wanted us to come to Geneva to meet them, so we recorded a show live with those guys too.
0: Love the idea of the Grand Seiko Spring Drive. I'm all in on the concepts on the movement technology, but I've not found one yet in the catalog that I would push the button on. It, well, the aesthetic.
1: Well, Well, it's funny you say that, because (laughs) your your compatriot in arms is is on this call. Uh, Ricky loves the idea of spring drive, but um, has never quite put his finger on it, broadly because he is a pedant when it comes to things on dials, and he just has broadly, I think it's fair to say, been displeased with any form of power indicator on the dial. And the odd one where the power indicator isn't on the dial, it's kind of been like, I don't like the dial or the case or whatever it is. It's not, you know. I think if he had, uh, if he had the Lego kit of Grand Seiko and he could pick the bits he wanted, he could absolutely build his perfect one quite easily from what's there. But there's nothing actually come to market yet. But uh, I was kinda. surprised by kind of. There's one that's uh, landed though, uh, just on the releases from yeah. Watch Wonders that had all the things on it that I thought. He's going to like this, but not like it enough that he would want to buy it. And uh, yeah, I think he might be getting pretty close that if the money's become available, he might bite the bullet on that one.
2: Well, I have ordered a new balaclava, so I might be paying the banks a visit. (laughs) Dave's kind of right and he's kind of wrong there. It wasn't I was against the idea of having a power indicator on the dial or on the reverse. It's the arrangement. I like things to be symmetrical and always the power indicator would be up here and then have an extra dial here and a wee dial over there and I used to say it was a bit like 1990s Japanese cars they put clusters and stuff everywhere beautiful now, the outside, the inside interior not quite as great with the dial arrangements and they nailed it with a new one and I can't remember the name of it it's a Grand Seiko Diver, it's got a beautiful dial it's got the symmetry, it's got all the parts that you want in it and it just it blew me away that's the one that I actually held the longest when I was getting the, the press event done more so than the Tourbillon. I was playing with this Diver. Do you know the model details of it, Dave?
1: What was it, the Diver one?
2: Yeah, it had. It looked like a carbon effect dial, but it wasn't. It was to give you the feeling of the ocean at night under moonlight, yeah, the it, way that the, it, it was worked.
1: The, yeah, the black tides, isn't it? So the black tides yeah. that run up between the uh, Arapurgo, um in and, and Japan. It's kind of to give you that uh, look of it.
0: I, I know um, Seiko... Uh... Seiko and Grand Seiko are, are runners, two two separates. But I think Seiko for me, the main brand. I think it it's been all over the in my mind. It's been all over the place recently in terms of the pricing of things. Um, they've seemed to have up the 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 lower end mechanicals or the entry level mechanicals. They seem to have up the price, but not up the movement technology. Yet at the top end at Grand Seiko, they're doing amazing things with the movement technology. And they seem to be closing that gap between their standard movements that, to me, aren't that exciting. uh, But their prices are getting much closer to, you know, the ATL 35 and the high beats and the spring drives and things like that. So
1: I think what you'll find for for me, certainly with Seiko, uh, you know, as a brand seiko corporation shall we say so everything from your you know your very entry level seiko 5 right through into credor you know all falls under that Mm. greater umbrella of seiko core and obviously yes you're right grand seiko was kind of hived off as a separate standalone entity um i think around about 2017 ish and it operates broadly speaking in its own in its own right and then within seiko you're right i think Seiko's undergone a bit of flux, in that everyone used to just go Seiko, and it could be two hundred pounds or it could be five grand, and everyone went Seiko. Probably in the same way as lots of brands, like car brands, maybe suffer from that. You know, Honda—it's a—it's a Jazz, it's a Civic, or it's a Type R, or you know, there's yeah. there's everything in there. Um, and I think that's that's more for me down to the kind of fact that they're a Japanese company, they're traditional, they're still an independent company, and the Japanese generally, even consumers, completely um, have a completely different mindset to how they look at brands and product than we have in Europe or the US, where we associate the name on a product with its perceived value, and we don't like the idea that if we spend a lot of money on something that says X brand on it, you don't want X brand to make something that's cheap because it cheapens your expensive product, which actually I don't agree with. I I Dave, get it. It's I'll jump a in here.
2: I'll jump in and say you're exactly correct. And also look at the turmoil that's been caused with Omega, Speedmaster, Moonswatch.
1: Exactly. People were up in you arms.
2: Know, oh, you've have diminished the you've brand de- heritage. You've
1: devalued my five grand Speedmaster. Uh, no, I think you're fine. You haven't. I mean, that 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 to me is a lunatic argument. But yep. you know, in, in in Japan, you've got this attitude of if a company makes something. There's different price products, there's different quality products, but you make the best product you can for the price that you want to retail it for. Whereas you've got much more of a narrative of the brand name is almost more important than the quality of the product. Sometimes in Europe and America, you know, it's a bit like the whole Skoda Volkswagen. Mm. Yeah, but or you know, like but look, look at look at the VW group. You know, Skoda, Audi, you know, uh, Bugatti, Bugatti, um, yeah. Volkswagen, all in there. Are are some of the platforms exact literally exactly the same? Yeah, change the badge, change the price, and people will judge you more or less, depending. You know, oh, you are sensible and frugal because you drive the Skoda, or you are a cheapskate because you drive the Skoda VRS. Why didn't you buy the RS Audi? You know, it, it, that's just our mindset. And I think, but you are, I think you are right when it comes back to Seiko, and that. You're beginning to see much more definition now in the range. Seiko 5 is very much about Seiko 5, and it's a kind of capsule. You've then got the whole pressage thing, which is your strong value, nice design led kind of uh, dress style watches. You've got prospects. That's the bit that to me is still a little messy because prospects yeah, is, you know, so. your prospect, but you have still 500 pounds turtles, great watches, love them. I'll, I would buy them, no problem, I have them. But it goes right through to your Five six thousand pound, you know SLAs, you know your your much higher spec stuff, which are amazing quality as well. I would take, kind of course, with you a little bit in terms of yes, yeah, some of the prices are sneaking up, but you're also seeing much more refined cases, strap quality, bracelet quality, the kind of hidden things. Sometimes they're really making a conscious effort to up their game in a lot of those areas and unfortunately the byproduct of that is that the prices do go up a little bit but even on things like your 5 600 pound Seiko's you're beginning to see much nicer clasps bracelets straps and these kind of things on there whereas historically they were mm, not great always they were sometimes a bit plasticky sometimes a bit cheap efficient but cheap looking whereas now they seem to have really kind of upped their game on there. I think give it another couple of years, you'll see a much more defined definition within within Seiko as a brand for what does what.
0: Yeah, I think, I suppose my my view on it is I totally agree with you. The cases, the dials and the, the straps are getting much better, although the dials have always been fantastic on Seiko. It's when you're still paying similar amount for... Like the four r thirty-five, those type of movements, they've they've increased the price of the overall product, but they haven't done any movement it, improvements in movement technology. They still have those crazy sort of plus and minus, you know, plus twenty seconds, minus fifteen. They still have these ratings where, and I think when you're getting into, well, to 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 name a name a product, when you're getting into Christopher Ward territory, when you're playing eight hundred dollars for. Uh, or, or pounds for christopher ward that's got a cost regulated salita movement in there and there's also an 800 um turtle that's just got their bog standard four R 35 they've done no they they haven't even bothered to regulate it really they've just they're just stamping them out and throwing them in the case i think that's where it, the lines blur for me with with seiko where i'm not i love their high-end stuff they're obviously their entry-level stuff their entry-level quartz is awesome but i think there's still for me that blurriness in the middle and that that's
1: yeah i mean i i get that i guess that really ultimately comes down to ultimately as a consumer you're right those two products are available to consumer but to a certain extent you're comparing apples and oranges in that they're two materially differently structured businesses you know Mm. If, if, if Christopher Ward, let's say, was a more traditional uh, route to market brand as Seiko is, i.e. the brand sell to retailers, retailers sell to consumers, that £800 Christopher Ward wouldn't be an £800 Christopher Ward. It'd probably be a £1,500 Christopher Ward. You know, so there's a degree of that. Um, I think, you know, when you look, though, all brands that are, broadly speaking, traditional route to market All of them are going up. And unfortunately, it's a consequence, I think, of lots of things that we've no control over. Energy prices, raw material prices, COVID, supply chain and stuff. Everything's getting markedly more expensive. You know, I'm objecting to paying, you know, half again as much for keeping my radiator at the same temperature. So I guess uh, my heating's not got any more efficient. It's just got really much more expensive. So I guess it's the same thing ultimately.
2: One thing I would ask on that is with Seiko's that advertise plus 30 seconds, Of the watches that we've seen, the Japanese have always been notorious for being conservative or giving worst case scenario. An example, let's go back to cars like I did earlier. Back in the 90s, there was a gentleman's agreement between all the Japanese car manufacturers that no one would release a car with more horsepower than 280. And every car that came out was about 350. So when it comes to a seiko movement that's plus minus 30 seconds, most of them come in at plus 5 or there or thereabouts. Ones I've seen anyway, maybe plus ten, but it's never to those extremes. That's just they're covering their arse.
1: Yeah, when you when you mass produce something in huge you know, if you think about it, Seiko is one of the only companies that produce mechanical watches in ludicrous volumes. Every other brand that produces watches in those volumes, they're quartz almost without fail. And quartz you stamp the movement out and it will be accurate it's quartz at the end of the day you know quartz is accurate end of story and when you're pumping out tens if not hundreds of thousands of units of watches and they're quartz easy boom 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 off you go think how many other brands do you think are putting out as many numbers globally as seiko you know we think of them as we think of turtles as collectibles we think of you know the samurais is collectibles in vast areas of the world. Whether it's you know Indian subcontinent, African subcontinent, you know Asia, these are the staple day to day watches that the general public buy as their day to day timepiece. And there are there are hundreds of thousands of these things sold. But you can the fact you can get a mechanical watch that's even as accurate. At the worst case of what they say that they produce and the numbers they do is a pretty impressive feat of engineering when it really comes down to it. So much so that I can't think of really of anyone else that's doing it.
2: Does that's not on Miyota? The, they own
1: yeah. Miyota as a movement manufacturer. Yeah, yeah
2: they do. Yeah, Cause I think I've got a, an inexpensive Citizen diver sitting somewhere that has never seen the light of day.
1: Well, that to movement,
0: that 9015, I would say is better than anything that Seiko do in terms in in, really? the, in those mid range. Yeah. I, mean, I would always go for the to, NH35. Well, I mean, the NH35 is good, but that's made by TMI, isn't it? Their sister company. But the actual, I mean, if you try to, if you can, and, and why I say that, if you can actually regulate with some accuracy, a Miota 9, well, in fact, any of the Miyota 9 series, but the problem with the Seiko movements is you can regulate them, but they they're wildly different, like positional accuracy. The ones that we've tested on the channel, are kind of pretty, mm. or pretty all over the place, and that I don't.
2: That's your delivery driver's fault.
1: What I would say is this though one thing we all need to remember here is you know, we are quite often judging watches at these price points against an accuracy level that's probably not in the real world. The average person buying a watch at four or five hundred pounds to wear every day, do we think they care about how many seconds a day deviation it has? Do they even understand that there is a deviation? The answer is, no, they don't, and they don't care. And when you try to tell them, they look at you with a glazed look of, can you just shut up and buy me another gin and tonic, please?
0: Yeah, it's funny. This the, a, a colleague at work who owns a, a Milgauss, I was chatting to him about his watch, and he's like, you know, it's, uh, it's not very accurate, this. It's loose, it's, it loses about 10 seconds over two weeks. And I'm like, wow, you got a really good one. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, your one didn't get absolutely. delivered by Isventura.
1: Yeah, 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 wow. So there we well, go. Yeah, but yeah. lots of things. You know, you can always. The beauty of these conversations is the amount of deep dive you can do into something that, in the real terms of the world, is completely and utterly irrelevant, but it's the most important thing that we've talked about for the last hour just amuses me no end.
0: Yeah, well, on that bombshell, um, I really appreciate you both uh, joining me on uh, this episode of Casual Watch Talk. As always, guys, I really appreciate you watching and listening. And I'll see you next time on Casual Watch Talk. Thanks, guys. Bye.